Chapter 3. Indigenous Influences The oldest surviving cultural traditions in Australia are those of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Their ancestors have inhabited Australia for more than 40,000 years. They are believed to have emigrated from Southeast Asia and are related genetically to both Southeast Asians and Papua New Guineans. But saying that, all people around the world can trace their genetics to the same woman who walked successfully out of Africa with the extreme drought threatening the end of human life on Earth. In effect, we all share the same ancestral mother. Today, Indigenous Australians constitute less than 3% of the population due to the disastrous impact of British colonisation had on the people themselves, including unfair battles over the land. The Aboriginal people's wooden spears were no match for the white people's steel guns. The introduction of deadly diseases, starvation and the intentional introduction of alcohol to Indigenous communities in order to placate, which to this day still continues to have a disastrous impact on whole families with alcoholism, domestic violence, child abuse and the result, high-level imprisonment. Indigenous Australians do prefer to be named according to their languages, Koori in the East and South, meaning our people, Nyonga or Noonga in Western Australia, Yolngu in the Northern Territory, Anangu in Central Australia, and Nangu in South Australia, just to name a few. The British settlers held a very different view of land and ownership to the native Indigenous people. The British saw land as a commodity that could be taken, gifted, traded, sold, fought over and ultimately fenced in order to keep people, animals and others in or out, which imposed British legal consequences if the boundaries were not obeyed. On the other hand, Indigenous people saw land as a mother of all living things, including people, animals, trees, plants, rivers and mountains, whereby respect is paramount to the movement across it was done freely as long as it was sustainable not taking too much, and always thinking of the next generation. Indigenous Australians have a strong connection to the land and to specific places because of reverence for ancestors. The Aboriginal belief in the Dreamtime endures to this day in many Indigenous communities, where they pay respects to their ancestral spirits who created the land that we call Australia. This clash in belief systems led to the annihilation of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture as the connection to the land was core to their way of life. When farmers introduced animals for farming, it polluted waterways and waterholes where native animals such as kangaroos came to drink, which in turn destroyed food sources of the indigenous people. This led to indigenous people hunting farm animals instead, which led to retaliation due to perceptions from the settlers that the indigenous people were stealing and thus led to imprisonment and death of the indigenous people. The British created a law that would give land ownership to white settlers and claimed Australia was terra nullis, a Latin term meaning that there were no inhabitants, as Aboriginal people were deemed flora and fauna, not human beings. This law continued until Torres Strait Islander activist Eddie Marbo embarked on the legal proceedings in 1982 to establish traditional land ownership, which was acknowledged and won in 1992. This led to the enactment of Native Title Act, which was supported fully by Prime Minister Paul Keating at the time, despite some strong opposition, and this has had far-reaching significance for the land claims of all Indigenous Australians. But there are still limitations. For instance, Uluru and Kata Tujuda, Ayers Rock and the Olgas in Central Australia was given back to the Aboriginal people to care, use, manage, with the caveat that they lease it back to the Australian Government for 100 years 
primarily for tourism. The most famous incident among the long litany of British colonialist offences against Indigenous Australians was the Mile Creek Massacre in 1838 in New South Wales. White men brutally killed innocent and defenceless Aboriginal women and children, and some men, as a result, seven of the eleven accused white men were hanged. Such justice was unusual. The movie, The Tracker, is a great depiction of this tragic historical event, with extraordinary acting by David Gulpilil. The Indigenous people were driven from their lands and disconnected from their mother, another imposed policy from the late 1800s that has had far-reaching implications for Indigenous Australians for generations was the forced removal of fair-skinned or half-caste Indigenous children from their families, which as a result caused unspeakable trauma, in particular for mothers and their children. The original intent of the policy was due to the concern around the threat of extinction of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and the belief at the time that white-skinned people were superior to dark-skinned people. In effect, the fairer-skinned Indigenous children could be integrated into the wider community, and the remaining small numbers of Indigenous could be left to die out naturally. Indigenous people believe in the spirit, and even though an Indigenous person is fair-skinned, they can still have an Aboriginal spirit. This policy and event of white settlement history has become known as the Stolen Generation. Prime Minister Kevin Rudd made a public apology to those affected. Australians in 2011, which not only was the removal flawed in its intent, but also because many Indigenous children suffered abuse in the state and religious-run institutions, as well as endured unspeakable conditions and treatment as enslaved labourers in cattle stations, farms, and as well as pearling ports in the north and west near Broome. The cruel enslaved labour practices also affected countless numbers of Indigenous Australian adults. Rabbit Proof Fence and The Stolen Generations are two films depicting these events. Despite the discrimination that has occurred towards Indigenous Australians since British settlement, such as no right to vote until 1962-65, separate public facilities, toilets, parks, benches, swimming pools, being banned from many public places including pubs and restaurants, Indigenous Australians were not discriminated against in three areas during this time, being war, sport and the arts. Indigenous Australians have fought for Australia from the Boer War onwards. They received the same treatment as white Australians and was the first time in their lives that they were not victims of discrimination. In World War I, over 1,000 Indigenous Australians fought and were paid for their service, which was vastly different to the treatment of enslaved Indigenous workers at the time. Initially, Indigenous Australians were not permitted to enlist in the AIF, the Australian Imperial Force, but the need for people to fight was greater than the battle of racial exclusion. Many Indigenous people were poor and starving, and the opportunity to earn six shillings a day was too good to miss. Most of them were half-caste and saw the opportunity to serve as providing opportunities for greater equality. However, too much disappointment, Indigenous Australians continued to be discriminated against after the war ended. Hundreds of Indigenous Australians served in World War II, many were killed fighting, and at least a dozen died as prisoners of war. As in the First World War, Indigenous Australians served under the same conditions as whites, and in most cases, with a promise of full citizenship rights after the war. Generally, there seems to have been little racism between soldiers. Wartime service gave many Indigenous Australians pride and confidence in demanding their rights. 
Moreover, the army in Northern Australia had been a benevolent employer compared to pre-war pastoralists and helped to change attitudes to Indigenous Australians as employees. Nevertheless, Indigenous Australians who fought for their country came back to much the same discrimination as before. For example, many were barred from the Returned and Services League clubs, except on Anzac Day. Many of them were not given the right to vote for another 17 years. Opportunities for Indigenous Australians to get involved and to excel in sport also provided a safe haven against discrimination. Australian Rules, or AFL or Aussie Rules, is believed to have been influenced strongly by the game Maan Grook. The Aboriginal people played using balls made out of possum skin filled with lumps of charcoal. Tom Wills, a talented sportsman who grew up on a farm in New South Wales, interacted often with the local Dejabawang people. He is a keen to develop the sport unique to Australia and combine the experiences he had with rugby with the new local influences. The first match was played in 1869 at the MCG to a roaring crowds. His brother Henry became the champion footballer of the colony. Aussie rules is still played today to large crowds that often reach 100,000 people at the MCG, as well as other stadiums attracting, as it always had, whole families at the very affordable ticket price. There have been many famous Indigenous AFL players over the decades, and hundreds of Indigenous Australians have played at the senior and professional level. Joe Johnson was the first Indigenous Australian to play, and he played for Fitzroy from 1904 to 1906. Gavin Wanganine played for Essendon and Port Adelaide, and was the first to play 300 games, and Andrew McLeod had played the most games, 340 in total, from 1995 to 2010, until Adam Goods, multi-award-winning Brownlow medal recipient and most prestigious AFL award, broke his record in 2014. Indigenous Australians have not only excelled in AFL, but have also in large numbers in rugby union, rugby league, soccer, hockey, cricket, basketball, swimming, tennis, horse racing, motorsport, darts, boxing, athletics, and even American football. Yvonne Goolagong became a well-known international tennis player, winning the women's final in Wimbledon at the age of 19. Interestingly, her success was attributed to her loving and supportive family, which was ironic at the time, as a stolen generation practice was still rife. Anthony Mundine is known to be one of the best athletes in Australian history, not only for his success in boxing, but also for his crossover success in rugby league. He is the first boxer in history to have had every one of his professional fights broadcast for television, and has generated more pay-per-views than any other boxer. He converted to Islam in 1999, and his outspoken views have led to a love-hate relationship with the Australian media. Another prominent Indigenous Australian athlete, Cathy Freeman, a 400-metre sprinter, was chosen to light the Olympic flame at the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000, where she won the 400-metre sprint. The arts is another area where discrimination seemed blinded and the Indigenous Australians were allowed, if not encouraged, to excel and enjoy equal rights. Indigenous art has captured the attention of people worldwide. It is considered to be the oldest unbroken tradition of art in the world, as it can be viewed today on rock and rock walls spotted on caves and sites around Australia. Charcoal rock art in particular depicts significant stories such as the Ice Age, the extinction of large animals and fauna, Chinese eunuchs shipwrecked on the Australian coast in the mid-1600s, and British colonisation in the 1700s. Dot painting on rocks and rock walls also depict early Indigenous life. 
the aerial landscape artwork of Indigenous people, which represents the countryside and the connection to ancestors, referred to as the Dreamtime, has incredible depth in its symbolism with each dot, line and circle having a specific meaning and the connection to the ancient Indigenous way of life. There are many well-known Indigenous artists who create traditional Indigenous artwork. In addition, Indigenous art is involved as a highly regarded and lucrative art market in the worldwide stage. But this has not come without some exploitation of the artists and greedy brokers. There are so many Indigenous singers and bands that have become household names and received international acclaim. The list is too long to print. Indigenous actors such as David Gulpilil and Andy Dingo received international recognition from their roles in the most successful Australian movie to date, Crocodile Dundee, which starred well-known Australian larrikin Paul Hogan. Indigenous filmmakers, academics and authors all have shaped our nation and continue to do so. There are many examples of Indigenous Australians making sacrifices during the war for their new colonial governed country and achieving succeeding and reaching the pinnacle of their careers in sport and the arts. The unsung superheroes and superstars of the Indigenous people are the Indigenous activists who stood up to protect their land, culture and way of life. These people appear prominently throughout white settlement history. However, it is only in recent times that this history has been taught in schools around Australia. The first notable Indigenous activist was warrior Pembleboy, who in 1797 led the Battle of Parramatta. Escaped convicts joined Pembleboy and helped dispel the mystery of white man magic, the muskets to which the point had deterred the Indigenous Australians from fighting for their land. Pembleboy was unique in his approach in that he united the different Indigenous clans to fight against the British invaders. He fought for five years before he was shot and killed and his head sent to England. Since Pembleboy, Indigenous activists have continued to fight for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights. With each decade passing, many activists have demonstrated and advocated peacefully for the changes that are made for the rights of Indigenous Australians. After Indigenous Australians received the right to vote in the early 1960s, it took another decade for Neville Bonner to be the first Indigenous man to run for election in 1971 and be elected Parliament. Pat Etock, the first female to run for election in 1972. Over 30 Indigenous Australians have since been elected to federal and state parliament, but not in all states. The greatest representation is in the Northern Territory. Ernie Bridge was the first Indigenous Australian to become a minister. Marion Scragmore was the first female and was highly ranked as Chief Minister of the Northern Territory from 2007 to 2009. Adam Giles, the first Indigenous Australian to lead a government as Chief Minister of the Northern Territory in 2013. Pat Dixon was the first Aboriginal woman to be elected to local government. Douglas Nichols was the first Indigenous Australian Governor of any state, being Governor of South Australia. There have been numerous Indigenous educators, lawyers, judges that have been influential and have well become household names, such as Charlie Perkins, Sue Gordon, Bruce McGuinness, Gary Folan, Noel Pearson, Pat Dobson, Mick Dobson and Marcia Langton. Noel Pearson is a very vocal Indigenous leader who promotes self-sufficiency and rejects the victim mentality and welfare dependency. This has not endeared him to his own people in many circumstances, as welfare dependency is high among Indigenous Australians. Pearson wrote in response to Kevin Rudd's apology in The Australian in 2008, One of the misgivings about the apology has been the belief that nothing good will come from viewing ourselves and making our case on the basis of our status as victims. We lose power when we adopt this psychology. 
My worry is that this apology will sanction a view of history that cements detrimental psychology of victimhood rather than a stronger one of defiance, survival and agency. Despite the continuous battle over land, the trauma of the stolen generation and the many wrongdoings of the government under British rule, many aspects of Indigenous culture has shaped the diverse fabric of Australia over the last two centuries. <laughs>